0: The scripture reading this morning is from Romans chapter 15, from verse 14 to 33. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written to you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles he gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem, all the way ran to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and that you will assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia, we're pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all, amen. This is the word of the Lord
1: thanks Sarah let's pray father please may your spirit as we sang earlier work in us now to renew us to shape us to make us more the people you call us to be God of hope may that hope that you speak of in the scriptures more and more be our hope and shape our lives we pray for Jesus sake amen Hudson Taylor was a great missionary pioneer. I hope many of us have read his story. It's a wonderful story, 19th century missionary. And after his first stint in China, which he'd found rather frustrating, he was with a mission society that rather expected him to dress and behave as an Englishman with top hat and all. They were restricted very much to the coastal cities. Uh, So the inland bit of China was a no-go area. And yet Hudson Taylor's burden was for the millions of Chinese who had never heard of Christ and, as things stood, would never hear of Christ. And he'd come back to the UK. He was invited down by a friend to the south coast. And um, he'd gone to church. It was a Sunday morning. packed-out church. And you'd think just the kind of encouragement he might need, this rather um, weary missionary. But actually, he walked out. Uh, before the end of the service, and went for a walk on his own on Brighton Beach. And he said later in his diary, I was unable to bear the sight of a congregation of a thousand or more Christians rejoicing in their salvation whilst millions were perishing for lack of knowledge. And he wrestled with that thought For a long while until eventually he knelt on the beach and prayed and committed himself to form a new mission society, the China Inland Mission, which would become the Overseas Missionary Fellowship, a mission that was committed to the millions of Chinese people inland who'd uh, never heard of Christ. That was a man of uh, of wonderful ambition. I wonder whether you are someone with great ambitions or even little ambitions. I'm not sure I even have those. I tend to think ambition is something for young people. Um, Though parents, actually, parents can become very ambitious on behalf of their their kids. Let me ask you, what are your ambitions in life? If we were to ask that question of the Apostle Paul, well, he, he gives us his answer in our passage. Verse 20, look down. He says, it's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. Like Hudson Taylor, it was a big ambition, not just for inland China. Paul wanted to take the gospel to the world. So few had heard yet. It was an ambition fueled by the hope that we we talked about last time, the first half of the chapter. God's plan to, and promise to gather people from all nations, Jew and Gentile, together to share in His blessing and united together in, in praise of God. It's the hope He wants us to share in. He, he prayed that, that beautiful prayer, verse 13, the end of last week, week's passage, praying that they this hope. Would, would fill them to overflowing in a way that, yes, would sh- shape their life together so that in their church life, we, th- we learned last time, they would uh, accept one another, serve one another, cope with each other's differences in a way that would better reflect and mirror this wonderful hope of God gathering all kinds of people together to be his people so the first half of the chapter, if you like, speaks to life here in St. Ebbs. But also, he says, this hope should cause us to lift our eyes and, and broaden our horizon. It should cause us to share Paul's heart, Paul's passion for a lost world. These, these promises of God point to what God is doing in his world in these last days. And, and Paul wants, the church in Rome, wants us to get on board with the plan. A, a hope-filled church, a, a hope-shaped church, yes, should give our attention to our relationships with each other, but also should mean we share this concern for a lost world. If you like share Paul's ambition to gather people from all nations, to the Lord Jesus. We've dived just this brief series into the the end of a long letter. And if you know the letter of Romans, Paul said a lot of stuff in it, deep, profound stuff. He was clearly aware there were some issues in the church that needed addressing. There were clearly things he wanted to help them understand more about the gospel that he preached. But in a sense, those weren't the main reasons for Paul writing this letter. If you look, verse 14, he says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. You might say, if that's all true, why has he written this great long letter? And actually in our passage this morning. He makes it clear the real reason for writing is that he longs for this church to get on board with his ambition, his mission, to share his heart for the lost and to partner with him. I guess we'd be pretty pleased if Paul said of us that we're a church that's full of goodness, filled with knowledge, competent to instruct one another, and I think there's lots of evidence of those things, wonderfully, amongst us. But I wonder whether Paul would feel the same about us as he felt about the church in Rome. Something more is needed. A deeper concern for the world. That's We pay lip service to that, certainly. There's lots of overseas partners who we pray for, a couple of weeks ago, we had our World Focus Sunday. But compared to a Hudson Taylor, compared to Paul here, I know for myself, I live with pretty narrow horizons most of the time. Far too little concern for the lost. This gospel hope doesn't shape my heart, my life, as it should. And I'm sure this passage has much that all of us need to hear this morning. Paul had never visited Rome at this point. Um, if you look over the, across the page, chapter 16, he clearly had lots of friends in the church in Rome. And he says in our passage, verse 23, I have been longing for many years to visit you. He longs to visit Rome, but actually he speaks in our passage of two other destinations, places that he's longing to going, to Spain and to Jerusalem. And those two places point to two great passions on Paul's heart. A love for the lost and the unreached and a concern for the church, not just the local church, But for the global church, for Christian unity, both passions grow out of this hope that we were thinking about last time of all nations, Jew and Gentile, being united together in Christ. And it's like this passage is calling us to share those two passions that Paul had. So we're going to think about those those two destinations, and, and why they're significant for Paul. How he wanted the Roman church, as it were, to, to get on board with his concern about his visit to both Spain and to Rome, uh, to Jerusalem. So first, uh, Spain. He says he, he wants to visit Rome, but actually he says that's only going to be a stopping-off point, en route to Spain. Look at verse 20, 24. He's just said, I've been longing to visit you for many years. I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and that you will assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. Now, why Spain? It's not that he fancied a couple of weeks on a beach, Costa del Sol. He wanted to go to Spain because his ambition was to preach the gospel where Christ was not yet known. And Paul explains in our passage that he was feeling that his work in the eastern Mediterranean was essentially finished. He says in verse 19, from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, that's kind of the the borders of modern-day Albania, I have proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It's not that everyone in that sweep of the Eastern Med had yet heard of Christ, heard the gospel, and there was nothing more to do there. Not that. There was much still to do. But Paul sensed that his work there was done. His calling was to be a a pioneer, to plant churches in key cities so that from there the work could grow and could spread. That was his God-given, very particular calling. He speaks at the beginning of our passage of the the, the grace that God had given him, end of verse 15, then verse 16, the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. You might know the verses a few chapters earlier where Paul says all of us, in view of God's mercy, should offer ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. Paul says his particular calling is not just to offer himself to God. Amazingly, he had a, a calling to offer the Gentiles, the nations, to Christ. And he had a sense of the enormous privilege he'd been given, a sense of Pride, not in an an ugly sense, but verse 17 he says, Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I've said and done. He says it's all of grace, it's all for for God's glory, but he had a real sense of achievement. This, if you like, was a, a pivotal moment. In, in Paul's life. Some of you, maybe you're hoping in these coming months, there'll be the moment when you, your thesis is at last bound beautifully and you, you hand it in. And that is it, a whole sort of chapter of your life, of your work, uh, finished and complete. And I say, that's how Paul feels, that, that the Eastern Med. My work now is complete. Real sense of pride, all glory to God. But he's not going to stop there. There's a world to win. Paul would have been aware, actually, of Britain. He'd have been aware of Germany and Central Europe. He'd have been aware of India in the East. But for him, next stop was Spain and the, the Western Mediterranean. Like Hudson Taylor, he's, he's burdened by the thought of countless millions who'd not yet heard of the Christ, who died for them, who'd risen, who offered life with him, hope in the face of death. And so he's he's telling this church in Rome, that's where I want to go next, and uh, I'll visit you En route, he says. I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and that you will assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. He, he wants their help and support for this next stage of his life's work. Antioch had been his sort of base and sending church for the last Ten or more years, they'd backed him through the last ten years of three great missionary journeys. But now as he looks to the western Mediterranean, he realizes he needs a new base. And he reckons the church in Rome would be great if they got behind him in this next phase of his work. So he says, I hope you'll assist me. And I think he means by that that you'll, well, he asked them to. Pray, pray for me. I think implied is that you'll support me financially with your giving and perhaps personnel too, team members. He doesn't want to go alone. Will you back me? He wants them to be his partners, to get behind the mission, to join him, to share his concern for the as yet unreached. He's prayed that this hope of people of all nations being uh, brought to trust in the Messiah and know God's blessing. He's prayed that that hope would would fill them to overflowing. Because, says Paul, as it does so, that I'm sure you will share my longing that more would hear the gospel of Christ. You'd share my concern for a lost world Well, don't you think Paul would say um, something of that to us? Yes, we've got lots of overseas partners. Yes, 25% of our regular giving as a church goes to support ministry elsewhere. And I'm sure many of us individually give and support missionary work around the world. We may get prayer letters and missionary magazines and so on. But despite that, how much do we really share Paul's? passion for the lost. We don't share his calling. That was a unique calling he had. But Paul's saying to this church in Rome, your calling is not mine, but I want you to share my concern. I want you to back it. What would that mean for us? Well, it might mean those prelates we get, we actually pray through. That would be the step up for some of us, to actually pray for these things we hear about. For some of us, it might be that there's one overseas partner that we're going to particularly commit to praying for and get their prayer letter. Maybe pray for the country where they're serving. Maybe it starts close to home. Maybe there's the lost here in Oxford we need to be praying for more. One friend, perhaps, who's not yet a believer. Maybe not yet really heard properly the gospel of Christ. I pray regularly for them. For myself, I think for many of us probably, I think I need to be praying simply to know more of Paul's heart for the lost. That restless passion that Hudson Taylor had, as this hope fills us to overflowing by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Spain, that's one destination on Paul's heart. But the other one he speaks of here is Jerusalem. That's completely the other direction. So it would be a 3,000-mile detour or something like that. But he explains why he first wants to go to Jerusalem. Look to verse 25. Verse 25. He says, Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. He's going to Jerusalem with a, with a gift, money collected from churches in northern and, and southern Greece and, and presumably other places too, a gift for the church in Jerusalem. It's called a contribution. The word actually in the Greek is koinonia, which is one of those Greek words you may have stumbled across, it's often translated simply fellowship. And it suggests that this is not just a gift, actually. More important than that, it's an expression of fellowship, of, of solidarity of these Gentile churches with their Jewish brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. And it's clear from other letters of Paul that this gift, this gift had huge symbolic importance for Paul. It was to be a tangible expression of the fact that God's promises to Abraham were being now fulfilled. The nations were being included in the people of God. Now, Jew and Gentile together were one family in Christ, as those Old Testament scriptures had foretold. And if you look on, Paul asks the church in Rome, to pray for his visit to um, Jerusalem. Verse 31, he says, Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there. He knew there were plenty of fanatical Jews who had it in for Paul. His life would be in danger if he were to go there. And he also feared that some people in the church... In, in Jerusalem might be wary of this gift that Paul brought, wary of, of what it seemed to symbolize. They weren't completely on board with Paul's notion that the gospel was for everyone, that these Gentile believers were truly now their brothers and sisters, completely. And Paul's aware that if that opinion had prevailed, That have ended up with two distinct churches. A church for Jews, a church for Gentiles. Not the hope that was set out in those Old Testament scriptures of Jew and Gentile together. United as one people in praise of God. Last time we saw Paul told the church in Rome to guard their unity. To deliberately try to express their unity in the way they served and accepted one another. But Paul's horizons are bigger than just the local church. He's concerned of the unity of the whole church. And he wants these Roman Christians to share his concern, to pray for it, to pray for him, he says. Look at verse 30. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. That's a very strong appeal. He says, pray I'll be protected. Pray that this gift will be well received. Join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. He's saying, make my concern, your concern too. Or again, it, it, it's a concern that flows out of this hope that he's been talking about. What might that mean for us here at St. Debs? Well, it's easy for us, of course, for our horizons to become rather narrowly focused just on ourselves, on St. Ebbs. And Paul's challenging us to share his concern, yes, for the lost, for the unreached, but also to share his concern for the wider church, for the whole church, the global church, in particular, for the unity of the church, so that would be protected. What might that mean for us? Well, I think it might mean praying for the persecuted church. Paul prays for his own protection. And Perhaps we ought to recognize much, much more our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan or North Korea or Nigeria. They are our brothers and sisters. We are one with them. Shouldn't we be praying for their protection? It might mean praying more for the Church of England. I know I'm prone just to want to leave the politics to other people. I know Paul's challenge to me and to many of us is join Vaughan and others in their struggle by praying to God for them. Praying for our leaders who are working to try and preserve apostolic unity in the church. If the Church of England goes ahead, follows the trajectory of where we're headed and changes its doctrine of marriage, it will split the Church of England. It will split global Anglicanism. And those things should matter to us. Not simply thinking, and we'll be all right somehow, whatever happens. Notice, The very particular challenge Paul puts the the Christians in Rome is a challenge to pray. That's what that last paragraph is all about. And it challenged me that my prayers are much too narrowly focused most of the time. Paul's challenging us to pray bigger prayers, to share his heart, God's heart, for the world. To pray for the lost, pray for the unreached. Pray for the church worldwide, for its protection and unity. It strikes me that may well be the most significant, the most important, the most fruitful thing you do in your life. Something that no one else will see, you won't get any credit for. But it may well be that what you do on your knees has more impact on our world than anything else. Their prayers for Paul made a difference. When he went to Jerusalem, went to the temple, a mob rioted and tried to kill him until guards came and intervened. There was another plot to kill him that was foiled. It would be a number of years um, before uh, he eventually reached Rome. There'd be shipwrecks and imprisonment on the way. It wasn't the, uh, the homecoming, the, the, well, the arrival he quite planned. And yet surely it was in answer to their prayers. Back in Rome, their prayers might have felt very pointless and feeble. What were they really doing? Praying for Paul thousands of miles away. And yet wonderfully, I think we to understand, God answered them. He says, verse 29, I know that when I come to you, I will come. In the full measure of the blessing of Christ, he would come actually as a prisoner in chains. Although wonderfully, for two years at least, he was able to share that blessing of Christ with them, we're told. End of Acts, as he taught them. We don't actually know whether he then made it ever to Spain. I guess we don't need to know whether he ever did or not. What's more important what Paul wanted for the church in Rome, what Paul would want for us, is that we get with the plan. God's plan to gather people of every nation, to bring people from all around our world to the Lord Jesus. Paul wants us to share his heart for the lost, to share his heart for God's people, for the church. He wants those concerns to shape our Life together here in Sadeb's. He also wants it to, uh, lead, us to sh- lead us to share God's concern for his world. Let me pray that it would do so. Let me pray, verse 13, Father, that the, you, the God of hope, would fill us with all joy and peace as we trust in you so that we might overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. More and more, please help us to be not just a hope-filled, but a hope-shaped church in our life together, but also as we lift our eyes much, much more and, and share your concern for our world, your world, for the unreached, for your people scattered around the place. Please, not least, make us prayerful uh, who share this concern that Paul asks us to share. For your name's sake, amen.